Hello, this is Melissa. It's Real History, and today is Thursday, the 24th of August, 2023. And I'm excited today to be joined by Dr. William Mackus from Alberta, Canada. And Dr. Mackus is an oncologist, an immunologist. He also is a specialist in nuclear medicine, I believe. And those of you who have been listening to me for a while know that I have mentioned him from time to time, and I've included some of his links to his substack and in talks that I've done. So you'll be familiar with him, and I, I called him rather jokingly, but I think that there's some truth to it, that he has been an excellent aggregator of a lot of the died suddenly kinds of stories. And what I've explained to you before is that he takes types of death and he organizes a substack by a type of death. For instance, teachers who have died suddenly. These could be heart attacks or strokes or turbo cancers. He's done bus drivers. He's done athletes. Young women who just die on vacation or in their sleep. So it's an interesting way that he organizes these. And at the end, he does a bit of analysis on it. Now, sometimes he doesn't have the proof that people were vaccinated, but often he does. And it's an interesting, I think the question always, and the question that Alan Watt would have asked is, what has changed? And I think all of you listening here know what has changed. So welcome, Dr. Mackis. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me. How are you doing? Well, keeping very busy, very I, busy. I imagine so. There were a couple of things that I wanted to dive into because as I explained via email, that this particular format is maybe a little bit more personal or I, I like to get a little bit of background on the people that I'm talking with. And I have done since I've been listening to you a while and reading your substacks, I understand that your father was a refugee from communist Czechoslovakia to Canada. I don't know if you were born in Czechoslovakia or in Canada. So I was, I was born in Czechoslovakia. Um, and when I was nine years old, um, my family and I, my parents and I uh, immigrated uh, from Czechoslovakia, effectively escaped, uh, applied for uh, United Nations refugee status in the um, in the adjacent country Yugoslavia. We stayed in a refugee camp for a year. That's where I learned English, and then we were fortunate enough to get uh, our papers and documents to come to Canada. The other element here, because I'm I'm going to get to a point, but the element that I wanted you to get share a little bit on is that you came up with an effective cancer treatment, very unusual, something new, and you have lived through a kind of a horrifying experience at the hands of Alberta Health. And I wanted you to share just a little bit of what, because this all precedes COVID. So if you could share a little of that story. Sure. So I graduated McGill uh, Medicine Medical School in 2010. I worked in Manitoba for a few years. I had my own uh, nuclear medicine department. I was mostly diagnosing cardiac disease, things like um, you know osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, uh, non-cancer things. And then uh, there was a job opportunity that opened up at a cancer center in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, using some uh, cutting-edge cancer diagnostics and cancer treatments. So I came to Alberta in 2013, uh, and I, I and I very quickly took over a cancer program at the Cross Cancer Institute in Edmonton. We built up a very large program using medical isotopes, targeted radionuclide therapy, which delivers radiation directly to tumor cells with uh, minimal to no side effects. Uh, and no effect on surrounding healthy tissues. So it, it's a technology that had been developed in Europe and had been actually used in Europe successfully for about a decade to cure end-stage cancer for certain cancers, mainly neuroendocrine cancers and some brain cancers as well. 
with a cure rate of 85 to 90 percent. And these are end-stage cancer patients who've been given maybe two, three months to live, mm. have failed all their chemo, have failed their external radiation, uh, any kind of immunotherapy or experimental therapies. They had no other treatment options. They come to my program, and we cured about 80, 85 to 90% of them. wasn't anything controversial. It was approved by Health Canada. I had a huge clinical trial that was uh, funded and approved by Health Canada. Now, we had to fight a lot to get that approval, but we had it. We were the referral center for all of Canada. Uh, it was the largest program of its type in North America. And about two years into the program, it was, of course, growing very rapidly. I had about 200 cancer patients directly under my care, and then hundreds more we were monitoring that we could bring into the clinical trial to start treating them. And uh, in at the end of 2015, Alberta Health Services decided to sabotage the program and destroy it, uh, leave the cancer patients without any kind of treatment options. And the reason, I didn't know it at the time, but the reason they had done that was because the Trudeau government had just been elected and the Trudeau liberals were about to pour hundreds of millions of dollars into cutting-edge cancer treatments, but not in Alberta because they hate Alberta. But instead, they were going to build massive infrastructure uh, for pharmaceuticals in Vancouver, British Columbia, in partnership with UBC, University of British Columbia, and BC Cancer Agency. And so sure enough, about two years after my program had been illegally shut down, uh, and then I was persecuted, the Trudeau government committed $300 million to Vancouver to rebuild my exact program that uh, had been sabotaged in Alberta. And so that program is still being built. There are multiple buildings that are going up. It's a huge sort of a complex. And as we know, of course, you know, I mean, the liberals are now heavily invested into mRNA vaccines and that technology. But But, you know, they laid the groundwork before COVID, before the pandemic, to heavily invest themselves into pharmaceuticals, mainly precision, what they call precision medicine or uh, precision cancer treatments. Okay, there's, a, there's several things that you said I, I want to just ask for a little bit of additional information. The first, they hate Alberta because I'm, I'm assuming it's big oil and it's conservative. Well, no. yes, and, and, and so here's the, here's the problem with, with Alberta is that a lot of the major hospital systems have on their board of directors conservatives. Uh, they have passed conservative politicians, they have passed conservative premiers, health ministers, uh, and, and so they don't have the same kind of a friendly environment um, and allies in Alberta as they do in Vancouver and British Columbia. And the other reasoning is that in terms of my cancer programs, I actually spoke to the former president of the BC Cancer Agency, who'd been president for eight years and vice president for another four years, I believe. Uh, and he told me uh, privately that the goal wasn't just to invest heavily into precision cancer treatments, but what they really wanted to do is they wanted to set up a, a parallel public and private system for these cancer treatments where they could actually charge in private clinics hundreds of thousands of dollars to, for wealthy, not Canadians, but for wealthy individuals from China, from India, and of course Vancouver being the easy access point mm -hmm. for uh, travel so that you know those wealthy individuals could come in, get their state-of-the-art cancer treatments uh, at one of the local clinics and you know that would be all privately funded of course and and you know there was a profit potential potentially in the hundreds of millions of dollars perhaps billions of dollars in providing this kind of treatments and now when you go on the on the Canadian liberal uh, government website uh, you know they talk about this program in Vancouver British Columbia that they're building and they're calling themselves global leaders despite the fact that they've never treated any patients uh, they sabotaged the only people that had the experience and expertise in, in Alberta. That was myself and another uh, Alberta cancer specialist, Dr. Sandy McEwen. They sabotaged both of our medical careers. They sabotaged the program. But they want to build themselves as the global leaders and, and the specialists once they have all of the clinics, private clinics up and running. I had heard you say, it must have been in an interview some months back, you had referred to them as taking that 
description for themselves, global leaders. And it's been some time since I looked at it, the, the site itself that they're building. But I recall that there was some big pharmaceutical companies involved in financing it. Is that a correct recollection? or? Well, so there are a number of uh, pharmaceutical companies that um, are involved to some degree. Novartis uh, is the one that I'm aware of. Uh, Novartis had um, actually bought out some smaller companies um, that had, uh, I believe, the patents or the, or the technology for uh, targeted radionuclide therapy of prostate cancer, that's lutetium-177 PSMA, uh, that had been bought out for several billion dollars by Novartis. So I think Novartis was one of the companies that was involved. I hadn't, you know, I haven't kept sort of up to date mm -hmm. with the, um, you know, what is the sort of the latest progress as I'm, as I'm not involved with this group. As I said, uh, this includes BC Cancer Agency, University of British Columbia, uh, the Triumph Lab, T-R-I-U-M-F. This is the... Uh, uh, largest physics laboratory in Canada. They're the ones who are actually going to be producing the radioactive isotopes for specialized cancer treatments. They want to do it on site. Uh, and the entire project is called the Institute for Advanced Medical Isotopes. So people can look this up. Um, you know, They can sort of uh, look this up for themselves. But this is effectively, uh, and this is all funded by federal money, uh, by the Trudeau government, uh, I remember the last I recall is in, in 2019, they had committed about $300 million uh, to this project. There was a $20 million or almost a $20 million pro, uh, um, anonymous donation that had been given to the uh, BC Cancer Agency. They actually boasted that that was the largest donation they had ever received. And again, it was to start to restart my treatments but restart them in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how far along they are, uh, but, uh, you know, this is a huge undertaking and an investment that the Trudeau Liberal Party allies and officials, uh, many of them are heavily invested into personally uh, into this as, like I said, the, the, the profit potential is tremendous. Okay. All right. The, the last thing before we leave this area is that can you elaborate just a little bit on how you and your colleague were persecuted and your careers destroyed? Yeah, so, so they couldn't shut down the program because that would, that would effectively mean sentencing hundreds of cancer patients to death, which they ultimately did, but they couldn't do it legally. They couldn't do it officially uh, because there would be a huge outcry. Um, so what they did instead was they framed me with fake complaints. Um, they promised, you know, some of my nurses and technologists, they promised them promotions. One of them actually became an AHS manager uh, for helping, you know, file a fake complaint against me. And then they, they used that as a pretext to have me physically removed from the workplace. Uh, they kept me at home. They paid me my salary. They paid me $60,000 a month to not treat my cancer patients. They said, we'll pay your salary, but if you set foot back in your workplace, we'll have you removed by security, we'll have your hospital privileges stripped, we'll have your license stripped. About a year later, they put a, they put a bribe in front of me, $400,000 offer, um, tax-free, to sign non-disclosure agreements with Alberta Health Services that I would give up all my contracts, that I would give up basically everything in Alberta, I would never speak to my uh, oncology colleagues again, and I would leave the province. And um, and when I refused, within six hours, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta basically confiscated my medical license, concocted uh, another fake complaint, and then basically persecuted me, tried to get me stripped of my medical license. Then I went through a process of extortion. I was threatened. My family was threatened. My children were threatened. They said they're going to punish my family financially. They said they would destroy my reputation, make sure I, I would never be able to uh, practice medicine anywhere in the world, not just Alberta, uh, and that they had unlimited resources at their disposal to do this, uh, unlimited taxpayer resources. This was uh, These threats were made by AHS lawyers at Field Law, my CMPA lawyers at Gowling WLG, uh, Bennett Jones, the law firm Bennett Jones was involved in these threats as well. So I've been through, you know, uh, quite a... A history that if if everything had become public, 
I believe most of the leadership in, in, in the healthcare leadership in Alberta, and certainly some of the politicians like Rachel Notley, Sarah Hoffman, Jason Kenney, Tyler Shandro, most of them would be in prison for a very long time, probably for life. So um, they murdered my patients. They murdered about 2,400 of my patients. I have their names. I, I tried to file their names in court at the Court of King's Bench. That was sabotaged by one of the judges, Justice Inglis, who was bribed by Alberta Health Services to strike those names from the court records. Um, I've gone to the Edmonton police. I filed criminal complaints. They ended up covering everything up. So it's been a... You know, I mean, if I were to write a book about everything that happened to me, I mean, I could write probably several books. You know, there could be movies made about this. But as I said, I'm sitting on documentation that could put a, many prominent people in Alberta in prison for the rest of their lives. That is a, a horrifying and terrifying story. That really is. I, I had heard you talk about a little of this, not in such detail before, and I think it was... That information combined with the fact that your father had saved his family from a communist regime, moved them to Canada, that you now must be looking at what happened to you in Alberta. I, I, I'm just guessing that your very, very unique story positioned you to take the stand that you have during COVID. You know what's interesting is is that when the pandemic started in 2020, and you know I looked at the case fatality rate and I realized, okay, this virus is not affecting you know young healthy people. It's not going to impact my family. It's not going to affect my kids. Uh, it's really nothing to worry about, to be concerned about. Um, I actually didn't want to speak out because I was in the middle of legal proceedings. I'd just been to court several times. AHS had tried to have me permanently silenced. They actually went to court uh, in January of 2020 and asked uh, Justice uh, Claxon to have my charter rights to freedom of expression permanent, like suspended. And, um, you know, it's one of these kind of funny stories where, again, no, nobody knows this because there's a media blackout on my story and has been for many years um, because it's simply too controversial. But... Uh, the judge, uh, when faced with the lawyers face to face, said, like, you know, like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is insanity. And, you know, they had some legal mumbo jumbo, some legal loopholes that they were referring to why my charter rights to freedom of speech should be suspended. And he said, well, because they said, well, you know, I'm engaging in defamation and I'm, you know, calling people, uh, corrupt. And, and exposing corruption in Alberta Health Services and the college. And the judge said, well, why don't you just file a defamation claim against Dr. Mackis if what he says is untrue? And the lawyers for Alberta Health Services just stood there silent. Yes. So what they were doing is they were trying to basically, through a legal loophole, silence me permanently, and they failed. The judge threw it out. Justice Claxton ruled that basically those applications, those emergency applications to have me silenced uh, had no merit and he threw them out. And that was in April of 2020. And I had just been through that and the pandemic just started. And I thought, you know what? I have enough on my plate. My family's already been threatened. My kids have been threatened. Like the last thing I'm going to do is start speaking out about the pandemic or start speaking about the lockdowns and masks and so on. So I actually didn't say anything in 2020. Uh, I kind of watched as things unfolded. I watched as the vaccines rolled out. I told my wife, you know, we're not getting these experimental treatments. I was a bit familiar with lipid nanoparticles in, 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 in oncology because, you know, they had tried to use lipid nanoparticles to deliver chemotherapy, uh, and it had always failed. Uh, you know, the chemo would end up being dumped in, in healthy tissues, and they had just no way of, of controlling it. So I thought, well, that's an odd, that's an odd choice for a COVID vaccine to use a failed cancer delivery uh, chemo delivery system, mm -hmm. so these lipid nanoparticles. It just made no sense to me, but I thought, well, you know what? COVID doesn't affect us. We don't need these vaccines. And then I saw just things getting progressively worse and worse where they had shifted the strategy from the carrot to the stick, right? And so mm -hmm. at first it was uh, get your free fries, get get a free <laughs> burger, get get a free ice cream, get a get 100 bucks, get your vaccine and get 100 bucks, right? Oh, yeah. 
then they moved to the, I think it was in the summer of 2021, they started doing the lotteries. Yes. Right? Oh, we'll enter you in a lottery to win a million dollars. Like complete, just absolute nonsense. And that when they started talking about the booster shots and we're going to roll out the booster shots and everyone's going to need booster shots, that was my line in the sand. And I realized these people are not going to stop. Uh, this is a long-term uh, project and a long-term effort to vaccinate people. And, you know, by then it was apparent athletes were dropping dead left and right. Myocarditis was a big issue. Uh, and so then I started speaking out um, about the COVID vaccines. And then, of course, so that was about summer of 2021 that I started speaking out on Twitter. Uh, by the fall of 2021, I started speaking out against the vaccine mandates. Alberta Health Services had tried to implement a vaccine mandate on its 105,000 healthcare workers. So I stood up against that. I co-signed a letter uh, in opposition. I was then threatened by the college uh, who said, well, we're going to put this on your record, the fact that you signed this letter in opposition to the vaccine mandates. But, you know, I felt because of the court victory that I had had the previous years that basically I was legally immune from any consequences of speaking out, not just about corruption in Alberta's healthcare system and at AHS and the college, but really about what they were doing with the pandemic and the COVID-19 vaccines. And sure enough, um, you know, they haven't really been able to touch me or do anything about the fact that I am speaking out about the dangers of the vaccines in kids, in pregnant women, all the died suddenlies that I'm reporting. Um, you know, as much as they would love to do anything about it, they can't because they took my license um, a couple of years ago for the cancer program after I had, you know, refused the $400,000 bribe. Mm -hmm. uh, they basically took the license hostage. They said, if you don't cooperate with us, we're going to eliminate your your medical license. And I said, keep my license. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to sign anything. I'm not going to cooperate. Um, you know, it got to the point where they wanted me to declare myself mentally incompetent and mentally unfit to practice medicine because that was the only route, that was the only uh, escape that they had from my allegations of criminal activity at Alberta Health Services and, and my lawsuits. Uh, the only way out they saw was to force me to, you know, put in writing that, uh, you know, I was mentally unfit or mentally incompetent. So, and I refused to do that, right? So um, that's kind of the bizarre journey that, that I've been on for the last uh, few years. Is, is your, are your parents still living? Yes. What, what do they think about what you've experienced both with the cancer isotope treatment and the way that you were treated by Alberta Health? What do they think about what is, what you're doing now? Well, they realize that Canada probably for the last decade has effectively been in a full-blown communism. Mm -hmm. uh, now, okay. it's, it's, Canadians won't recognize it as communism because, you know, we, we, you know, we have a lot of freedoms and we have a lot of luxury goods. The, the differences between communism, Soviet communism in the 80s and, you know, communism in Czechoslovakia and Canada right now, uh, the differences are very minor. People have obviously a lot more access to luxury goods here than they did in communist Czechoslovakia. And, you know, you sort of have freedom of speech, but, but that's being curtailed, uh, to a significant degree. But what, where we really saw it was in 2021 and 2022, uh, about six million unvaccinated Canadians were not allowed to get on a plane, mm -hmm. were not allowed mm -hmm. to get on a train, were not allowed to walk into a restaurant, were not allowed to take their kids to the recreation center for swimming lessons, were not allowed to enter gyms, uh, we're not allowed to enter churches where arrested, like Christian pastors were arrested. Yes, for, I'm, uh, for performing sermons. Like, like if that's not communism, I don't know what is. William, I was living in Canada then. I only returned to the United States in the late summer of 2021. And I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to return because you couldn't fly out if you weren't vaccinated. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. I actually called the whole experience escape from Canada. Uh, you yeah. know, and sometimes I would say escape from communist Canada. It was terrifying. I kept calling uh, the, 
the customs people and saying, well, I'm going to be traveling on such and such a day. And they told me, I, I had like three different people who said, you're an American, you're welcome to come back. And sure enough, I, I was able to get out of there, but it, I've, it, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, and so Canadians got to experience it, and what you realize is that most Canadians were very happy to live in a communist country, mm -hmm. uh, um, and and just completely accepted it without any question. In fact, they heaped abuse on the unvaccinated, right? That's and right. so, you know, then we had then we had the uh, the truckers who pushed back significantly, and you know made made a huge difference. But what you saw was the. Um, you know, the, the academics and the public sector showed that they love living under communism. Uh, yes. and you know, the more totalitarian, the better, right? And, but the, 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 the funny thing is, is that what they don't realize is that, you know, once you have a full blown communist system or totalitarian system and whether, you know, it's going to be 15 minute cities in the future or, you know, social credit score or, or what have you, um, there are, you know, there's only a very small group of people who actually enjoy life uh, under, um, you know, those kinds of conditions. And it's always the elite, right? It's always the elite that the rules don't apply to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but the enablers, you know, the academics, the public sector, the enablers of communism end up living in a very unpleasant uh, situation. You know, and, and, and that's the way it was under communism as well. You know, you had the people, you had the enablers that pushed communism and pushed the communist party, but they lived in the same crappy system that the rest of us did. And, you know, life was very unpleasant. They um, are the useful idiots. They all think that they're, they've been such good little boys and girls and they're going to come yeah. through and they're, you know, it's a rude awakening. Yeah, and we really saw that in, uh, and, and I think it was brilliant the way the vaccines were rolled out. In that uh, the the psychological, um, I guess, operation around the rollout of the vaccines was that you know you were being a good citizen, um, you know this was for the greater good. You you know it wasn't uh, you know uh, you know these selfish individual people who wanted bodily autonomy and freedom. You know the hell with them. Uh, you know you're doing something for the greater good and for the community and. You know, you're keeping the healthcare system from overflowing and, and, you know, you're saving grandma and you're saving your neighbors. And I mean, these are all communist ideas, <laughs> right? There's the, the, the collectivism, the, That's right. the, the idea that, you know, you're doing something for the collective good and the individual doesn't matter. The individual's freedoms uh, are irrelevant. Um, and so, uh, unfortunately, most of the Canadian population embraced that. And yes. I think now, um, and, and you know, in, in, in a way, the irony is that, you know, people always say, well, it's not the unvaccinated who are dying suddenly. It is the vaccinated. It is the ones who complied. It is the ones who were good citizens and lined up for their shots and, and uh, abided by the lockdowns. These are the people who are dying suddenly now by the thousands, by yes. the tens of thousands. Their kids are dying. Their families are dying. And... You know, this is sort of the great tragedy of this whole thing is that the people who were the most compliant are now reaping the most severe consequences of, of that compliance. Yes, that is, that is true. It is sad. It's very, it's a sad thing to see because there was a lot of, from the unvaccinated who felt bullied and cornered, there was a lot of anger and pushback towards the vaccinated. And I would see in comments and on social media, well, good for them, you know, if they were suffering a neurological or death or, you know, and I just, it's kind of a but for the grace of God because there's, this is a long Prime long-term agenda to get people to be this compliant and this accepting of what has happened in the last three plus years took a long time to set it up and get people get Canadians to love communism. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? It's it's we're all we're all in the same boat because vaccinated and unvaccinated because. You know, the, the, I mean, this is really the elites versus the rest. That's the right. Rest I, oh, rest. I, William, I say that over and over again. We have to know yeah. who the real enemy is, you know. It's us versus them. Simple, yeah. simple.
Um, yeah. I know that you have limited time, and we're, I'll, I'll also just say that this is actually being recorded a full two weeks in advance of when it's going up. But there were a few things that I wanted to touch on, and just, sure. in, just in case we run out of time, I think one of the main things that I want to touch on is an, an interview that you did maybe more than once, but about the UK disability report, you said that Ed Dowd had put you on to this data and you had studied it and come up with some very interesting revelations and you can give an overview of that. But before we get lost in the data, what is really interesting to me, what I'd like to talk about are the is the spike in mental illness disability claims. Yes, so uh, one of the big controversies um, of vaccine injuries is the idea that the lipid nanoparticle with the mRNA crosses the blood-brain barrier, gets into the brain, delivers the mRNA into uh, cells in the brain that take it up readily because it's a lipid nanoparticle, uh, and then you know, express spike protein in cells in the brain, and this causes all kinds of neurological injuries and as well as psychiatric injuries um, that we don't even we can't we haven't even begun to understand. The neurological injuries are among the most common injuries of COVID vaccines. All of them: Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, you name it. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of neurological injuries documented in VAERS and in WHO's Vigi Access that I've I've looked at, and so. Now, the reason why this is controversial is because the other side has been saying, and these are the compromised doctors, they've been saying, well, it can't get into the brain. It doesn't get into the brain. There's no evidence of that. And so, you know, these neurological injuries are not vaccine related. This is all random. And, you know, you can only do that to a point. Now, there's been a study, peer-reviewed study published, a pathology study of a 70-something-year-old gentleman where the spike protein was stained in the brain. It was proven that it was from the vaccine. So there is evidence that the spike protein gets into the brain. There have been studies with um, mice, again, I think done in Germany, showing that the spike protein readily shows up in the brain. It shows up in the meninges. It shows up in the bone marrow of the skull. Um, so there are, you know, ways, uh, several ways that the, you know, spike protein ends up in the brain. So, now, these neurological injuries and the psychiatric injuries, um, again, it's you've got an inflama inflammatory process in the brain because you've got this foreign protein in the brain that's now being expressed. Uh, you also have this um, potential to, to form amyloid proteins, prion proteins. There's actually sequences for those within the spike protein mRNA. Uh, there's like portions that if just portions of the spike get translated, you end up with these abnormal proteins that can accumulate in the brain. So amyloid is associated with Alzheimer's disease, for example. Uh, prions are associated with uh, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, which is, you know, also known as mad cow disease. Uh, so there's been a bunch of cases of, of people coming down with that. Um, so when you look at the, the UK government data, this is the Department of Work and Pensions, and these are disability claims. And when you look at the data in terms of why the claims are being made, what is the reason for the claims? And when you look at neurological injuries and psychiatric injuries um, in 2022, compared to a pre-vaccine, pre-pandemic baseline, the claims are up over 100%. Mm -hmm. It ranges anywhere from 100 to 200% in 2022. And the trend is going up. So in 2021, it was maybe 50 to 100 percent. In 2022, it's 100 to 200 percent. So it's several fold higher mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. 2022, even compared to 2021. So the trend is rising. And when I looked at, you know, cancer cases as well, um, the things that seem to be accelerating the most, the injuries and the disabilities that seem to be accelerating the most, at least in the past year, year and a half, are neurological issues, psychiatric issues, and cancers. Okay. Um, there's still a steady increase of blood clots. There's still a steady increase of myocarditis, pericarditis, and all those things. Those are still increasing, but the things that are increasing the most, neurological, psychiatric, and 
cancers. And of course, when you when you look at the psychiatric issues, well, there you've got you know things like depression, things like uh, bipolar disorder, anxiety disorders, mood disorders. But what nobody wants to talk about is the increased risk of suicide in the vaccinated. Uh, and I believe we're seeing skyrocketing suicides among young people in fields, in professions where COVID vaccines were mandated. Mm-hmm. Doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, police officers, firefighters, military, all of these professions are seeing skyrocketing suicides and no one wants to talk about that. Okay, I, I want to just... I'm getting a little feedback. I hope that's not recording, but I wanted to share the titles of a few studies. A little over a week ago, I was doing one of these real histories with someone, and we were just speculating. We were just musing about things that we had seen and heard, some anecdotal, some were news stories, about people who were just losing it in public. Now, some Uh of these you could say it's a bar brawl or it's a football fight or something like that. But some of these were just people who lost it publicly. And so we were speculating what could the cause be. So after the conversation, I was illustrating a video about it, and I, I just looked up a few things. What I did, my keyword search was COVID vaccine mental illness. And I came up with three peer-reviewed papers in under a minute. And so today, getting ready to speak to you, I came up with more than half a dozen in under 10 minutes. And here are some of these are all on like NIH, other, you know, they're peer-reviewed papers. Here's the first. Acute psychosis after immunization with whole virion inactivated COVID-19 vaccine, a case report from Central India. The next one. First episode psychosis following receipt of first dose of COVID-19 vaccine, a case report. The next one, vaccine-induced psychosis as an etiology to consider in the age of COVID-19. The next one, psychosis associated with COVID-19 vaccination. Another, acute psychosis induced by mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccine in adolescence, a pediatric case report. Another, Psychiatric Adverse Reactions to COVID-19 Vaccines, a Rapid Review of Published Case Reports. Uh, Here's the last one that I pulled up, possibly the last one I pulled up. Acute psychosis due to anti-N-methyl D-aspartate receptor encephalitis following COVID-19 vaccination, a case report. Uh, Okay, there's one more. Psychiatric pathology potentially induced by COVID-19 vaccine. This took me under 10 minutes to pull those up. But as a last little talking point here, when I was looking for these, I found mainstream news reports. Now, this is rubbish, okay? Here's the difference. The doctors, some of them, the researchers, well, maybe they're uncompromised, I don't know, but they're looking at it. But the mainstream media gives you this spin on it. Two men were consumed by COVID psychosis. Their wives say one lived and the other died because of how doctors reacted. But what they're saying is that the the psychosis was brought on by the COVID-19 infection. And when you read the stories, if you read between the lines, one of them was a teacher. I'm guessing he was vaccinated. He committed suicide. Yeah. Uh, There is another story of a, a similar kind of a story where they tell you, I don't know, he just, he had COVID. If you look at the timing of what they're saying, it appears one of them had a vaccine, but they're saying that he had superimposed COVID. So they still want to blame the COVID itself for the psychosis. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I, on March 8th, I put out a substack, and the title of the substack is um, Psychiatric Injuries, COVID-19 mRNA Vaccine-Induced Psychosis, 13 Cases of Post-Vaccination Psychosis, Mania, and Suicide Attempts That Will Shock You. Now, these 13 cases that I uh, talk about in that article uh, that I wrote back in March, uh, there's a number of suicide attempts uh, within those cases. So these are people who took their COVID vaccines, uh, had obviously a, a sort of a psychotic episode or reaction, and some of them actually ended up trying to commit suicide because they were hearing voices or they were having visions, um, or you know they had some kind of paranoid 
paranoid delusions. So, and, and, and these 13 cases are all... Um, so, unfortunately, um, we're just recovering from a little technical glitch here, but what Dr. Mackis was saying, and we, we lost about 15 minutes of our conversation there, but what he was saying was that he had covered this in a substack that he did on the 8th, and I will be sure to get that from him and put it up as one of the links accompanying this talk. But what he was saying is that they've known this, they've been studying the psychological effects, the neurological effects of the vaccine, and this is a known thing going back for a while. Yes, so I, you know, on a March 8, I put out a substack called Psychiatric Injuries, COVID-19 mRNA Vaccine-Induced Psychosis, 13 Cases of Post-Vaccination Psychosis, Mania, and Suicide Attempts That Will Shock You. This was uh, March 8, 2023, and I had gone over the available literature uh, at the time, and I had quite quickly come up with 13 cases of post-vaccine psychosis. Uh, this is uh, uh, after Pfizer, after Moderna. Uh, I believe I have a few cases with AstraZeneca as well. And, you know, and these are very fascinating cases of psychosis because... If you want, I can just read you a couple of quick lines from some yes, of these cases. that'd be great. Thanks. You know, a 31-year-old Hispanic man takes Moderna, has no psychiatric history. He reported soon after taking Moderna becoming clairvoyant. He was able to talk to dead people, and he heard people drumming outside his house. Um, you know, another case, a 45-year-old Asian-American married woman with no psychiatric history, um, had Moderna vaccine and then had three months of psychosis afterwards. She had paranoia, auditory hallucinations. She quickly quit her job of 18 years. She stopped eating. She lost 56 pounds. Uh, she would only get dressed in the dark, believing that people could see her in her closet or bathroom behind closed doors. She would pace all day long and stop doing household chores. Uh, she would, you know, wake up her husband in the middle of the night, try to convince him that the neighbors were going to kill her uh, and were breaking into the home. Uh, and when he told her it's not real, she got angry with him. She'd only slept two to three hours a night. She wouldn't sleep in the bedroom. She ate, she would lock herself in the bathroom to sleep. She heard whispers of people talking about her. She would carry on full conversations with them. Now, I mean, I could go on literally for hours. Mm -hmm. with these kinds of, of cases. This is after taking Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. These are full-blown cases of psychosis. And some of these cases include suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, suicide attempts because people were having auditory or visual hallucinations or someone told them that they should commit, you know, suicide. Like, like in, their, in their hallucinations, someone would, you know, would be whispering to them that they should commit suicide. So these are all documented in peer-reviewed literature. We never hear about this on the media. We never hear about this. We never hear doctors talking about this. Uh, and whenever I do interviews, you know, people are not aware of this. People are shocked that these things even happen. And so, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how there was attempts to discredit me back by the mainstream media back in January of 2023 when a global news reporter, Ashley Stewart, did a long hit piece uh, on me and about the sudden deaths of Canadian doctors that I had been reporting about. At the time, it was, it, was about, it was about 80 doctors, Canadian doctors that had died suddenly since the rollout of the vaccines. And this is a girl in her sort of late 20s, a young reporter who was assigned to do this hit piece on me. And she smeared me viciously said, I'm making all this up, I'm pushing dangerous conspiracy theories, disinformation, that everything I said about the Canadian doctors dying suddenly is made up, is a lie, that she investigated these deaths, and that without any autopsy report, she determined the cause of death in 50 out of the 80 doctors, and it was heart attacks, it was strokes, it was, um, um, you know, neurological issues, and the clincher that would discredit me, she said, was the fact that six of the doctors had committed suicide. And in her reporting, she says, look, this, this proves that, um, you know, Macus is discredited because the vaccines have nothing to do with mental health. 
the, the vaccines have no impact on mental health and, you know, have no impact on, on, on people committing suicide. And, you know, she was very proud of herself for thinking that she had discredited me by saying, look, uh, Macus is raising concerns about suicides and he's crazy. You know, the vaccines have nothing to do with it. When really what she didn't realize was that, you know, there is now an increasing body of research showing that the spike protein does accumulate in the brain. It gets into the brain parenchyma of the brain itself. It gets into the meninges. It gets into the uh, bone marrow of the skull. Um, it has been found. It has been pathologists have stained the spike protein in brain tissue and have found it on autopsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a case report of that as well. There's, you know, German pathologist, doc, Professor Arne Burkhardt, has stained spike protein, found it in the brain, um, you know, found it in other locations as well, the heart, the testes, in various tumors. So this is not a conspiracy theory. There's, you know, there's, there's strong evidence behind the fact that spike protein accumulates in the brain, causes all kinds of uh, inflammatory responses, and these can affect people's mental health. They're skyrocketing, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, mood disorders, um, in the UK, disability data, uh, psychiatric injuries are, you know, among the fastest growing injuries in 2022 compared to the uh, pre-vaccine rollout era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I believe that there is an increased risk of suicide in the vaccinated. We don't know to what extent. We don't know how many people are at risk. Uh, some of the people have no psychiatric history at all, and they come down with, um, you know, several weeks or several months of psychosis where some of them attempt suicide. Now, we don't know the long-term risks either. So I do believe that this is a significant risk. I'm seeing increased suicides in all the professions that were mandated COVID-19 vaccines, doctors, nurses, police officers, firefighters, um, what was the other one? Military, military as well. And so there's increased suicides and it's being covered up. It's being buried the medical establishment does not want to investigate this at all. Now, you also made an interesting point in the bit of our talk that was lost that you said that even the alternative media isn't covering this particular aspect, and then you went on to say what the Global News hit piece had done to the journalists that had covered you favorably on the the doctors who had died. Yes, so this was right around, uh, this was again in January 2023, um, when, when Global News put out this hit piece on me, the reporter Ashley Stewart, she posted it on Twitter and it was then retweeted by about five or six thousand people retweeted it. And I was looking at some of the people who were retweeting this and these were very prominent Albertans. Uh, these were media personalities in Alberta like Ryan Jesperson. Or Markham Hislop. This is a guy who does um, commentaries on climate change and, and writes articles on climate change. Um, you know, there were doctors, there were professors, law professors that were reposting this hit piece. Um, there were, I believe, some politicians as well, some NDP or former NDP politicians, MLAs, members of parliament that were reposting this, academics. Uh, academics. And so you have these like 5,000 or so you know, prominent people in Alberta who are retweeting a hit piece, an an ugly hit piece, a smear piece that called me a lunatic, a loon, a conspiracy theorist, a discredited doctor who's pushing a dangerous conspiracy theory. And they all lined up behind it. And including the alternative media lined up behind it as well. I had um, Western Standard News, which is an alternative media um, outfit in Alberta, uh, um, one of their reporters actually called me a loon, a lunatic, and he said that it is dangerous for me and it is like nonsensical for me to be talking about vaccines and the risk of suicide because, of course, there's no link and that it discredits the entire field of vaccine injuries when someone like me is, you know, raising concerns about mental health of the vaccinated and the increased risk of suicide which he believed doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And this was back in January. So even the alternative media jumped on the bandwagon. I can tell you, for example, Rebel News hasn't spoken to me since that hit piece came out. Really? True North North has not spoken to me since that hit piece came out. 
So I've effectively been not just blacklisted by the mainstream media, I've been blacklisted by the alternative media. Wow. Uh, you know, in Alberta, for example, um, for talking about vaccine injuries and, you know, something like this, like the increased risk of suicide, which to me is very clear and very obvious with a lot of peer-reviewed research to back it. But no one will talk about it. No one wants to even uh, cons contemplate the possibility. Mm. It's not surprising. When you were talking a little bit about the fact that Canada was already full-blown communist for at least the past decade, and what you have gone through, not just with Alberta Health, but right now the stories that you're relating, especially the idea that, well, calling you a loon, smearing with you with something like that, but having people in authority say that you should be stripped of privileges or stripped of license because you are mentally ill. This is this was Soviet communism. Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting because the playbook that was used, uh, it was used by the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta. They're the ones who came up with the idea of smearing my reputation uh, to the point where, you know, people would look at me and say, oh, this guy's crazy, right? Or this guy's mentally ill. And to this day, I get attacked uh, by, it's usually NDP activists, Alberta NDP activists. And I've even been attacked by former NDP members of parliament saying that I'm, I'm discredited, I'm, you know, mentally unwell, uh, that I should go see a psychiatrist. And, and, you know, again, this playbook, very much of a communist playbook. You know, the communists, when they couldn't get certain individuals to go along, certain academics uh, or certain prominent people to go along with a communist agenda, communist propaganda, they called them crazy. They had them committed to mental asylums. Um, and, you know, they had their reputations destroyed. And Canada, Canadian medical establishment, Canadian medical associations, the media, they're doing the same thing. They're doing the exact same thing as we, you know, as I saw in communism. So, uh, same playbook. Um, it, it, it's interesting. It's fascinating to see because, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, if, if, if I'm mentally ill, how, how is it possible that I'm having court victories over, uh, uh, corporate lawyers for Alberta Health Services who have millions of dollars who are getting paid millions of dollars and have, you know, endless resources at their disposal? If I'm mentally ill, I, I shouldn't be winning in court. And, you know, I shouldn't be able to hold conversations. I shouldn't be able to do interviews. I mean, it, it's quite evident, you know, if someone is mentally ill, that comes out, you know, quite clearly, um, you it's know, just, in their it's sort of... Select, it's selective mental illness. <laughs> yeah, they, it must they be. They select. <laughs> it must be. Well, I... I know that you're busy and you've got to run and we had that little glitch, but I wanted to just ask a question. You're doing really great work that I'm so happy that I know about and I'm able to follow. I find it useful. I, I was just saying in something that I broadcast recently that I try to read something from you every day and that it is not easy to read. It's, it's, it's sad. It's heartbreaking. Some of these stories literally make me want to cry. They're just so upsetting. But I feel that it's something that I have to do so that I'm so that I can face what is actually happening, what the fallout is. So I'm I'm most appreciative of what you're doing. I, I did knowing how busy you are though, I want to ask a question. You've got a lot that you're covering and that you're working on. Have you pondered the idea, the possibility in your own mind that this is something beyond greed? Oh, yes. Um, so, you know, I try to stay, I try to stay grounded in, I mean, I am, I am a physician, uh, and, and I do try to stay grounded in what I can back up right. Uh, scientifically, right? Um, you know, a lot of people have come to me and said, well, look, you know, there's nanotechnology in the in the shots. There's graphene oxide, and you know, it, it's hard for me to sort of, you know, talk about that because I, you know, I can't really prove it. I can't point to any sort of evidence. Um, so I try to stay quite grounded. Now, in terms of the intent mm -hmm. of um, 
these intervention what interventions whether it was the i think the probably the most egregious are the vaccine mandates because i think forcing an experimental treatment on somebody that's something that i would argue that even the communists didn't go that far uh i mean this is something straight out of nazi germany uh that you are basically forcing people to take an experimental uh pharmaceutical product i mean no matter what the pharmaceutical product is that you're forcing people to the point where if they don't take it they can't travel they uh they lose their jobs they lose their you know unemployment insurance um now we're seeing uh doctors in the US uh they're they're having their accounts canceled by like bank accounts they're having their bank accounts closed by certain banks because of the opinions that they hold the medical opinions that they hold uh that's very egregious and it's um it's very malicious and, and and so you know i always say look at what the authorities have done over the last couple of years and um you know when you when you if you if you're going to go beyond the greed and i think greed is a big component of all of this but when you go beyond the greed um you know i think the simplest thing that i think anyone can agree on is that there is malice behind all of this there there's there's an intent to harm there's an intent to harm and an intent to kill um and the maliciousness of it i think is indisputable i'll give you an example uh, you've got university mandates that are mandating vaccines on students who are going to get myocarditis and are going to die students that have classes online they're not even at school and they have to take the vaccines to stay in their program despite the fact that they're physically not even at school mm-hmm. that is maliciousness that can only be ascribed to an intent to harm and an intent to kill um so that i i believe that intent is there it's indisputable the the health authorities the political authorities they intend to harm and kill people there's no question about that now you can then go from that point on and say well what is why is there an intent to harm and an intent to kill and then you know then it sort of goes off into all kinds of theories conspiracy theories what have you right and i kind of leave it at that um because to me it's almost irrelevant it's irrelevant let's say you know there's an intent for a certain you know a group of the population to be disabled or killed or made infertile to me the it's it's almost it's almost irrelevant once you know that the intent is there right. once you know that that the public health officials like they intend to harm you and your kids it almost doesn't matter why right like i mean it'd be nice to know the why maybe there's some conspiracy theory or maybe there's some conspiracy somewhere where they said look you know climate change and populations out of control you know we got to kill at least 20 you know 10 20% of people but we got to make it look like it's not too obvious and then we got to disable another part of the population so they can keep buying our drugs and they're financially dependent on us and then you know we'll we'll shove the rest of the people in 15 minute cities what have you whatever the whatever the conspiracy theory may be to me it's almost you know it almost doesn't matter because the the maliciousness the intent to harm me and my family is there and I'm aware of it right So I adjust accordingly. I'm not going to trust <laughs> my local politicians. I'm not going to trust certainly not, I'm not going to trust my lo- local health authorities. And I'll adjust accordingly. And you know, when we were um when I was having discussions with my wife sort of in the past year of what is our escape plan out of Canada? Because I'm I'm I left a communist country and I'm not going to raise my kids in a communist country. Uh you know, my kids are still young. uh and you know my family didn't escape communism so that i would raise my kids in communism right. right right it just makes no sense so you know we're sort of discussing well what is our escape plan out of canada and back when you know you couldn't get on a plane or a train it's like how are we going to are we going to just get in the car make a run for it make a run for the border and then just you know take our chances hope we get through are we going to uh hire a human trafficker to smuggle us across the border out of Canada <laughs> right so i mean you know you you kind of get to this point 
where you'd never believed that that would even be a, a discussion for a Canadian family. But um, I think, uh, you know, I think it's something everyone has to at least consider that, you know, there may come a time where some of us might simply have to say, look, we got to leave Canada. We, we, you know, we can't live in a system like this. Well, uh, so I, I hope... I hope Canadians wake up before uh, before it gets to that point. I, I hope they do too. I, you know, I mean, you, you're seeing a lot of the same kinds of uh, mechanics being used on the American population. It's I, I think the glove the gloves are off, the teeth are bared here, and I ask that because you know Alan Watt always said this is a global agenda. He never got into what you might. I'm sure he was called a conspiracy theorist, but he got into reading the dusty old books from the men themselves who had plant, who had talked about eugenics and they had talked about depopulation. So he wasn't speculating. He was just presenting you with what he'd read that was written maybe 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. But I ask that mostly because in communism, and I think we're under a global communism now. When you see what the World Health Organization is doing and their plans to make it much easier the next time around for them to be considered the authority on how countries respond and how quickly they respond. So none of this, oh, well, we're Sweden, we're going to do it a different way. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to be a universal approach. I ask that because in communism, you've always got a part of it that is quite bloody. Right. So, um, so when you look at communism, you know, you, you, you look at, you look at it, um, after World War II, and in the decade or two after World War II, communism was quite bloody. A lot of people ended up in the Siberian gulags, you know, were never heard from again. Um, that was the really sort of ugly communism. It, it tended to, I guess, as the decades w wore on and sort of decadence set in, um, I think communism mellowed out to the point where people were not being, you know, carted off in the middle of the night, at least, you know, not on a regular basis uh, and put into gulags. But, um, you know, you, you had all the sort of the restrictions in place and everyone was used to it. Because, you know, there was a generation that had grown up in that, right? The fact that you can't travel, you can't cross the borders, you can't, you know, you, you can't listen to Radio Free Europe, you know, you can't have uh, U.S. dollars in possession, uh, you know, you can't have certain books or magazines in your possession, and, you know, that kind of things. You know, I think there was a generation that had grown up with, with that, so they were used to it. So there wasn't a necessity to use force. That being said, I mean, people were still being shot in the 1980s for trying to cross the Berlin Wall uh, and for trying to escape. People were still being shot at. Uh, people were still being imprisoned. There were still, you know, political prisoners and so on. Uh, so, you know, there was there was there was some ugliness throughout. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you know, there is a component of it that can get quite bloody. Uh, communism is extremely nasty. It's extremely ugly. And and whenever I see, you know, someone supporting socialism or whether it's an NDP person or whether it's a liberal or so on and I and I look at them and I think okay these people have no idea mm -hmm. what they're supporting that they're supporting one of the most hideous and bloody and murderous ideologies that that has ever been conceived of yes. by by mankind and to be supportive of that to me is just it just shows that you know there's so much ignorance uh, and people did that just haven't learned from history. That's right. Well, Dr. Magus, I really appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule to speak with me. I've enjoyed this so much, and I, you're, I, I just, again, I want to say you're doing terrific job of letting people know what is going on and what you see. And I hope that you'll have time to talk with me again in the future. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the conversation, and I'm, I'll, be, I'll be happy to, uh, to chat anytime. That's great. Thank you. And everybody who is listening to this episode, thank you for tuning in once again, and there's more next week.